A reading from Job. Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karenhapak. In all the land there are no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived for a hundred and forty years, and saw his children and his children's children, four generations. And Job died old and full of days. The word of the Lord. Read Psalm 34. Read responsibly by the half verse as indicated by the asterisk. At all times I will bless the Lord. I will glory in the Lord. Proclaim with me the greatness of the Lord. I sought the Lord who answered me. Look upon the Lord and be radiant. I called in my affliction, and the Lord heard me. The angel of the Lord encompasses the God-fearing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Many are the troubles of the righteous. The Lord will keep safe the bones of the righteous. Evil shall slay the wicked. The Lord ransoms the life of those chosen to serve. A reading from Hebrews. The former priests were mainly in number, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, for it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large cloud were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of the Lord. I knew Chris because his son was in the same youth group as I was when I was growing up. Chris was a man with a vision that over time made some serious transformations in many people's lives. Chris had a vision of seeing those who live in extreme poverty experience holistic changes in their lives. But the vision that Chris had was not always part of his heart. But when he was in his mid-50s, he found himself on a trip to Africa for the first time. This was his first time on the continent, and so he wanted to use the opportunity to explore the city he was in and the surrounding area. He was struck by the beauty that surrounded him, both in the culture and in the environment. But he was also struck by the extreme poverty that he witnessed especially when he saw those large, sprawling slum communities on the edge of the city. He left Africa with the vision of the harsh realities of the extreme poverty, but also with the vision of the possibility of Christ's love changing that place. Chris owned a small but growing, successful business. He was doing well, and all things pointed to the fact that this business would continue to grow and nurture over the years. And so Chris made the decision upon leaving Africa that he would use his growing business to support World Vision and support their efforts to bring holistic transformation to poor communities. For every employee he had, he, through the business, would sponsor one World Vision child. And he continued on. Every new employee that he brought on as the company grew, he would support one more child. Quickly, World Vision as an organization realized something special was up here. 
and they contacted Chris and offered to try a little experiment with him. For every child that Chris would sponsor through his company, the World Vision would make sure all of those children were in the same village in West Africa. And a short time later, a bunch of churches and institutions and other individuals, all from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, all got in on this. And so every child that was sponsored through World Vision from the town of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, every child that was sponsored was coming from the same village in West Africa. There was a sister community being formed across the Atlantic. Not only was their relationship formed by sending money and receiving those letters that the children would write, but groups of sponsors would go over and meet people in this village, and genuine relationships were being formed. At one point, a high school group of boys from one church went to meet this village that they had been sponsoring for a few years. When they got there, they realized that many of the youth their age were no longer in school. And the number one reason why was because the youth had the responsibility of go getting water every day for their family. Well, the nearest source of water was about three miles down the road where there was a stream. And so this high school group of boys from Bethlehem sought out to see if there was a possibility of building a well within the village so that these teenagers could start going to school again. They discovered that a well was possible, and so they went back home, and they worked very hard over a six-month period and raised all the money that was required to build the well. See, because Chris, one man, one person, had a vision that would bring transformation, both the West African village and the town of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, were transformed. Vision is both the understanding of the world as it is and also the world as it could, maybe should be. New vision is that shift of the worldview that allows us to see reality differently and also gives a new focus on how those changes can happen. New vision requires searching, receiving, and responding. There is searching for new understanding. Sometimes this is intentionally done, but often I think searching is unintentional. But nonetheless, it comes when we are willing to allow ourselves to be put in a place of learner and allow our world to be changed and our understanding to change when we allow ourselves to receive new information and new understanding. New vision requires that receiving, a taking in this new understanding or way of seeing the world. It's like putting on new glasses, but not putting them on just for a second to see how the world looks different, but actually leaving them on, not taking them off again and discarding them for the old script that we used to have. 
Lastly, new vision requires responding. It's not just enough to have this new understanding, but we need to allow it to reshape who we are, to allow it to change our priorities, our actions, our behaviors, and our attitudes, allowing them to shift as our vision has shifted. Our readings today all suggest new vision, new ways of seeing the world both around us as it is and as it could be. Bartimaeus receives new sight, quite literally. But then Job has a new vision or understanding of who God is and God's role in the world. And the author of Hebrews offers a new vision of Christ's identity as the great high priest. The Gospel story of Bartimaeus shows all three of these parts, the searching, the receiving, and the responding. Bartimaeus was searching for a change to his situation. You can hear it in the desperate cry as it says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus wasn't just searching for healing of his sight, but of a greater experience of the mercy that comes from God. He was the son of Timaeus, but Bartimaeus itself literally means son of Timaeus. And so the author is a bit repetitive here, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. And if you know that Timaeus is actually, Timaeus actually means unclean. And so there's a drastic contrast between the son of David and the son of of the unclean. It's almost as if Bartimaeus is saying, you are the son of a great king, I am the son of the unclean. Have mercy on me. Bart is searching, Bartimaeus is searching for mercy, for transformation in his personal life, and possibly the change in his family narrative. Bartimaeus is then willing to receive this new vision that Jesus gives him. He is persistent about receiving this vision of mercy, and he ignores all those around him who are telling him to be quiet. He is willing to receive it, so much so that he throws off his cloak. You think about it, blind man in a crowd, tossing away his coat, probably the only one he has, he's not going to get that back, especially if he remains blind. But he tosses it off, as if he's tossing off all doubt and fear because he trusts in this mercy he is receiving. Upon receiving this new, version, this new vision then, Bartimaeus responds. Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. But Bartimaeus doesn't appear to go anywhere, not back to retrieve his cloak, nor to go back to the community he may have once been a part of. Instead, he chooses to follow Jesus. Instead of going, he comes. Bartimaeus receives not only restored vision, but a greater sense of who the son of David is, and is so inspired by this new vision that he becomes one of Jesus' followers. Job also receives 
this new, a, a new vision. We hear today that Job says to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Think of how often we hear a noise, and we think we know what it is, but when we go and investigate, we discover that it is something completely different. And that's what Job is experiencing here. He thought he had a handle on who God was, but through the book of Job, we get to see how he's struggling with his old vision of God, but in the end comes to a new vision of who God is. Job sees God in the whirlwind, and that is where he discovers this greater understanding. His vision shifts, and things become more clear. The question from the beginning of the book of Job is, will Job curse God when Job is faced with great crisis? And through the book, we see Job is struggling with this question again and again as he's trying to make sense of everything. But his lens that he's looking through is a bit askew until he meets God face to face. Once he has this new vision, he responds. And we hear him say, therefore I despite myself, despise, excuse me, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ash. But I suggest possibly a better translation here is therefore I reject myself, or even better, therefore I retract my words and repent in dust and ash. He takes back what he had said earlier when he still had a blurry vision. He takes that back, and with this new vision, he places himself back in the ash heap where we heard he was a few weeks ago at the start of the story. But I suggest that he's there now to properly mourn those things and those people that he has lost. But he is no longer mourning the loss of his faith in God. With this new vision, we see that he is then able to move on in his life. Then there is the Hebrews' discussion on Jesus being the great high priest. This is a new vision of priesthood and a new vision of understanding of how we connect with God. While there was once this long lineage of priests, and they would continually offer sacrifices for the sins of others, now that old line of priesthood is finished, has come to an end. For now we have one great high priest who has made the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. The author of, Roman, of Hebrews is laying out this new vision and inviting his listeners to respond to this new vision by putting faith in Jesus, the great high priest. And now we find ourselves here today, being offered the chance to receive new vision ourselves. For today, we are celebrating the baptism of Samuel. Baptism is a complex sacrament with many aspects to it. And one of those aspects is new vision. That baptismal covenant that we are about to make, or really that most all of us here are about to reaffirm again, speaks of this shifting vision. 
one that shifts away from the reality of the world as it is around us and refocuses us on the realities of God and God's kingdom as it is and as it is meant to be. It focuses us on the reality, sorry. It focuses us and it gives us that vision of who the triune God is. It gives us the vision of who we are as the church. And it gives us the vision of how we are called to live as baptized or born again believers. I say born again, and I recognize that phrase may cause some of us here to bristle a little with the connotations that we have. But allow me to offer a different vision of how being born again is related to baptism. One of the symbols that is stressed in baptism, but is often lost when we don't submerge, and when we have a small one, it's probably for a good reason that we don't do submersion. But one of the symbols that is lost by not doing that is that baptism, that in baptism, we go under the water as if going into the grave. We are dying of our old self, just as Jesus died. But just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too do we spring back out of the water and into new resurrected life. The old life is washed away and a new vision of life is upon us. In a few minutes, as we read through the baptismal covenant together, please take time to search out where your vision currently is and where God is calling you to shift your vision through these words. This past week, we have all been witness to, we have all seen the realities of violence and terrorism in our country. We're given a vision of the world as it is. And I pray that we are able to seek, respond, receive and respond to the vision of the world as it could be. The vision God may be offering you may seem like something large, big like Chris's vision to bring transformation to an African community. It may be something much more local, maybe something here in the Clear Lake area, or even within the walls of St. Thomas, or just as importantly, maybe within your own life. Whatever the vision, I promise you, it is significant and worthy of your attention. Whatever the vision, I pray that you have the courage to receive this new or renewed vision and respond by living into it and that you may find joy and peace along the way. And then now I invite the family of Samuel to come on up for the baptism. And as you all come up, you know, we're going to be doing baptisms the next two weeks. But it is possible that the Lord has impressed on your heart the need for baptism today. And if that speaks to you, the font is open. If there's any 
children, young or old, who would like a front row seat, 